So Matt, today I found the worst page in the entire dictionary. What I saw was disgraceful, disgusting, dishonest, and disingenuous. <laughs> yeah. It's all that one coming. Yep. I figured you would. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm pretty good, man. Good deal. Good deal. It got a little bit chilly again here. I was getting real used to the um, the 80s during the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was uh, kind of rainy and in the 50s today, so my Texas blood had to put on a jacket. I was cold. Yeah, we're uh, you know, we're getting ready to plant plant a garden and mm-hmm. everything, trying to get all ready for that. And I was, we were just talking. I'm like, man, it still may freeze. We're not, yeah, we're not gonna go too far. We just did that. Some we planted some stuff that I think can make it yeah. through a last cold snap, but waiting <laughs> another month or so <laughs> before I plant the rest of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna tell you. So this past weekend, um, there was this this Lego thing that Brooks wanted. And so we made a special trip out to the Lego store mm-hmm. and they had this incredible sale. And so when we got there, man, there were so many people. They were lined up for blocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how you saw my joke coming? I saw that one. coming. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I got to sneak one in there every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I told Michael that one or something the other day because he's a big Lego fan. <laughs> so before we get into it, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud to be associated with all the shows there. You can find a list of those shows, and I guarantee you, you're going to find something that you probably won't find anywhere else that you will enjoy. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Lomi and Care Of. And we will talk more about them throughout the episode. And while you're on the internet doing your stuff, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. We have three different levels. Our top level, the $10 a month, they get a audio ad free version of an episode. When we have ads, they get the video version of us recording the episode. And they also get the weekly bonus episode that we put out. The other tiers get the weekly bonus episode the five dollar a month gets the video version of the bonus episode as well so go over there check it out see if you want to become a patron we've got a ton of stuff that you can check out that is maybe a little bit different than what we do on the main episode yeah they're always just uh, slightly different they're more casual uh, a little more fun. You know, Adam and I get a little bit loose with our language on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but check it out. I mean, we've got a really good catalog now. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you find yourself waiting between episodes going, ah, you know, I, 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 I want to listen to something, but there's not a graveyard tales out. Check it out. 
I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff and we appreciate you helping the show. Absolutely. So Matt, I think you probably know because we've talked about it before, but I have had the worst time composting in the past. Like you've got to get this big clunky composter, put it out in the yard. You get flies drawn to it. If you don't turn it right and all, it doesn't compost anything. It it doesn't work. But then we found the Lomi. And I can't tell you how how much of a game changer the Lomi is. Ashley and I love to garden. We love to cook too. So we thought composting would be great for us. But with all the hassles we had, we kind of stopped doing it. So once we found the Lomi, all we do is put all of our scraps into the Lomi. You can put meat, you can put dairy, vegetables, bread, whatever you want. Don't put bones or avocado pits or liquids in there. But outside of that, put it in there, hit a button, and within a few hours, you've got dirt that you can go put in your garden. And let me tell you, I have just started like tilling up the garden and we just planted a few things. But as I was tilling it up, because we had been doing the loamy over the winter, I had a five gallon bucket and another five gallon bucket half full of loamy dirt. So I took it out there. I threw it on the garden and tilled it in. And I tell you what, that I mean, it was so much easier it, the the hassle is out of composting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, just tonight, before recording this ad, Amanda looks over at Madison, who's in from college, and we're having salad for for dinner. And she goes, "Don't throw away the ends of the cucumbers. They they go in the loamy, right?" And and she and, and Madison says, "I'm sorry, I just forgot." And she goes, <laughs> and, and Amanda literally looked at her and said, "I am cutting back on my food waste." Absolutely. I, I was like, I wish I had recorded this. Yeah, no joke. That would have been a great <laughs> ad right there. <laughs> it, it was perfect, and you do you do have less garbage each week because so much of your food scraps aren't in your trash can. Right. And you know. I have I recently have put together a plant wall, and we're, I'm using the loamy dirt uh, for all my indoor pl- potted plants, and they are doing phenomenal. Yeah, it, I mean, it does great. It it's great. And the other thing I noticed too with the loamy, which may be a big thing for a lot of people, it's a big thing for me because I'm smell sensitive. Our trash does not stink like it used to. When you take oh, yeah. that food and put it through the loamy instead of in your trash your trash doesn't stink our little cabinet that we keep our trash cans in doesn't stink and we went from i don't know four or five bags of trash a week to two Mm -hmm. i I mean literally trash was picked up today and i had two bags from a week ago and it's because we cut down on food scraps so if you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash grave. That's L-O-M-I dot com slash G-R-A-V-E. And use our promo code grave, G-R-A-V-E, to get $50 off your Lomi. 
That's right. That's $50 off when you head to LOMI.com slash G-R-A-V-E and you use our promo code GRAVE at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a trip out to the garbage can. So, Matt, that's all I've got. Why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, uh, Adam and I split up. Uh, we're, we're covering technically two topics that are the same topic. That makes any sense. So we are looking. Yeah, we're looking <laughs> at we're looking at a couple of different cryptids that are found in Madagascar. Scar, scarfer. How do I say that? Madagascar is the way I want to say it. That's how I say it. That's how I, I will be saying. I want to pronounce it like it's somebody's last name, like <laughs> Madagascar. Yeah, you know, old Mister Madagascar. <laughs> But Madagascar, and I mean, you know, Madagascar is so unique Mm -hmm. um, as it is. I mean, there have been discoveries there that have been nowhere else on Earth. Um, You know, we we thought thought the coelacanth was extinct, and they find one off the coast of Madagascar. So there's there's a lot of stuff that is still... um, relatively unknown. So I can't even, I can't even pronounce Adams. I'm not, I don't think I can. Um, I can pronounce mine, um, but we're going to get into, I'm going to tell you what mine is when it's my turn, but Adam, Adam is going to lead off and he's going to tell us about the um, Madagascar cryptid that he uh, researched. Right. Um, as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found our information and you can continue the research if you would like. Um, now, before we get into the cryptids, I wanted to discuss Madagascar a little bit because to me, once we look at this, it kind of, it, it opens the case for there being a cryptid on the island of Madagascar that maybe wouldn't be anywhere else. Like you could say, okay, well, I I don't think there are Bigfoot Roman Texas because it's so populous and, and there there's just not that unique species, but Madagascar is very unique in flora and fauna. And to me is a very good place to, house an unknown animal Mm -hmm. so this is from the world wildlife world wildlife fund that's too many w's um and it says the island nation of madagascar has developed its own distinct ecosystems and extraordinary wildlife since it split from the african continent an estimated 160 million years ago approximately 95 percent of madagascar's reptiles 89% of its plant life and 92% of its mammals exist nowhere else on earth. Can you imagine that? I mean, it, it, that's incredible. Now it's located off the East coast of Africa and Madagascar is the world's fifth largest Island at 144 million acres. It's almost the size of Texas. So that tells you how big Texas is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it's also, it's a pretty big island. Yes, it is. 
Um, now, Madagascar's climate is tropical along the coast, temperate inland, and it has an arid region in the south. So it's a, I mean, if you needed any evidence that there could be multiple different interesting, unique species there, it's got multiple different climate types just within that 144 million acres. Yeah. Now, the island harbors lush rainforest, tropical dry forest, plateaus, and deserts. It's it's more than 3,000 miles of coastline, and over 250 islands are home to some of the world's largest coral reef systems and most extensive mangrove areas in the western Indian Ocean. Now, it's mind-boggling the amount of plant and animal diversity that's present on Madagascar. There are more than 11,000 endemic plant species, including seven species of baobab tree, um, and they share the island with a vast variety of mammal, reptiles, amphibians, and others. And from 1999 to 2010, scientists discovered 615 new species in Madagascar, including mm-hmm. 41 mammals and 61 reptiles. That's amazing. It is. And yeah. it just, it, it always goes back to the idea that, that Adam and I really uh, are promoters of that there's so much of this planet that we really haven't explored in yep. depth that so many people think, man, there's no way we would have found whatever it is by now. And that's just not the case. Right. Right. And Madagascar's prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now Madagascar has several critically threatened species. Now it includes one of my favorite names for a species, the silky safaka. <laughs> you silky safaka, you. <laughs> that, that, I'm not even going to tell you what that sounds like. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> PG 13 show. Mm-hmm. Um, but the silky safaka, and I may not be saying that right, but I'm saying it how I enjoy it. So deal with it. Um, it's a <laughs> lemur, which is one of the rarest mammals on earth. Its name actually means angel of the forest, and it refers yeah. to its white fur. Yep. Now, there's another threatened species. It's the rare plowshare tortoise, and it's found only in a small area of northwestern Madagascar, where as few as 1,000 of these animals survive. Plowshare tortoises can be sold illegally for up to $200,000 a piece on exotic pet markets, which the exotic pet market is mm-hmm. one of the things that is endangering all of these animals. Right. So if you want to have a cause, like if you want to put your money and time and effort into stopping something, it's the illegal exotic pet trade. Yeah. Stop that. And if you purchase any of these exotic pets, stop it. Here is a verbal smack on the wrist. Stop it. Shame. Shame on you. Yeah. For shame. Well, you think about it. I mean, We we've got a, a a species of tortoise that lives on an island with such a unique uh, atmosphere, mm-hmm. such uh, you know a, a unique ecosystem, and you're going to take this tortoise to another area. There is no way that you you could 
fully understand how to care for such right. an animal. Right. And you're going to put them in an ecosystem that could be potentially lethal. Yeah, take to them, them to Great Britain or something. Yeah, you're going to expose them to an environment that, you know, as a species, they've never been uh, exposed to. And you're you're just killing them off. Yep. Leave them alone. Appreciate them for what they are. Exactly. Go get you a dead gum box turtle when there's four gajillion of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those red ear sliders or something. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. not only that, you could be bringing disease from the plowshare tortoise to the animals of wherever you live. Mm-hmm. And these animals could die. Or it could spread to humans. I, I mean, there are so many bad things that could happen with the exotic pet trade. So just stop it. You're you're mm-hmm. killing Madagascar and other places, but stop it. Now, this actually comes from Berkeley University. And it says, understanding where all of Madagascar species came from, its uh, biogeography requires understanding Madagascar's own geologic history. So 170 million years ago, Madagascar was landlocked in the middle of the supercontinent Gondwana. It was sandwiched between land that would eventually become South America and Africa and land that would eventually become India, Australia, and Antarctica. Now, through movements of the Earth's crust, Madagascar, along with India, first split from Africa and South America and then from Australia and Antarctica, and it started heading north. India eventually smashed into Asia which formed the Himalayas in the process. But Madagascar broke away from India and was marooned in the Indian Ocean. Madagascar has been on its own for the past 88 million years. Mm. So some of Madagascar's present species are there because they, quote, rode there on the continents and were left on the island when it separated from India. Others arrived on the island after it split, immigrating from other places. Now, in biogeography, these two scenarios are known as vicariance and dispersal. To understand the difference, imagine a species living on a continent, which is then split into two through tectonic action. When the continent splits, the two halves of the population are separated. And over many generations, they evolve into separate species. The species distribute, uh, distribution is the result of vicariance. Now, many different processes can cause vicariance, plate tectonics, the rise of mountain ranges, a shift in the course of a river, or just climate change that causes an unfavorable habitat to develop uh, that ends up splitting a species range into two. Dispersal, on the other hand, occurs when a species spreads or immigrates from one area to another. If part of a population moves to a new area, the two subpopulations may eventually evolve into separate species. So that is one of the main things that I want to touch on before we got into the cryptozoology part of it. Uh-huh. Some of these species, the vicariants of it, the ones that rode there, have had 88 million years to biodiversify from any other species on the planet. They have evolved into their own species. So you could have a cat. Let's say there was a cat that was on India and Madagascar 
And then when they split, the Madagascar cat had whole new climate, uh, whole new uh, uh, temperate zones and stuff that it had to live in. And so over time, it evolved into a species that worked best for that area where the cat that was left on India evolved for India's climate. Mm -hmm. So you could end up with what was the same species 80 million years ago. They don't look anything alike. The Madagascar cat could have wings and a reptile tail by now. Who knows? It's been 80 million years. Who knows what could happen? Man, you took my cryptid. I can't <laughs> you gave it away. Dad gummit. <laughs> a reptile-tailed winged cat of Madagascar. <laughs> but the, the reason to me that that is very important is because that says to me that there could possibly be a way for the two things that we're talking about to have evolved into actual animals. Uh-huh. Whether at one point they were in larger number than they are now, or whether they've always been a small population, but they're just hiding out because they've evolved to hide out. Yeah. So the one, the cryptid that I've got is called the Kisawala. Mm-hmm. And some of y'all may know what that is. Um, there's, there was a TV show done on. Uh, what the Kisawala is supposed to be. And I'll, I'll get to that, but the name may be familiar to some of y'all, but let's look at the Kisawala. Now the Kisawala is a cryptid primate reported from Madagascar described as a giant red roughed lemur. Now in 2018, wildlife explorer and adventurer Forrest Galante, this is the show I was talking about, ventured into the Madagascar jungles in search of the Kisawala for Animal Planet show Extinct or Alive. According to theories from Animal Planet's Force Galante, the Kisawala may be a species of the extinct Pachylemur genus, which is estimated to have gone extinct as late as 500 years ago. So, many witnesses have said that the Kisawala lives in the tallest trees in the forest, so it can see the entire jungle below and find its prey. Now, the people who live around the area that the Kisawala are said to live have said it's quite large, many times larger than the, quote, normal lemurs that they see in their area. It's covered in a reddish fur and has a face similar to a dog's face. And I'll talk more about this here in a minute. Um, But it's said to be a meat eater, which is unlike other lemurs in the area or the pachylemur, which the Kisawala is speculated to be. So even the pachylemur wasn't a meat eater. It was a fruit and nut mm-hmm. eater. Mm-hmm. But the, the people that are seeing the Kisawala now say it is a meat eater. And I'll, I'll touch more on why they say that here in a minute. But let's look at the pachylemur. Now, the pachylemur... It, like I said, is an extinct giant lemur that's most closely related to the roughed lemur of genus uh, Varicea or Varicea. I don't know. Um, Pachylemur is sometimes referred to as the giant roughed lemur because although it and the living roughed lemurs had similar teeth and skeletons, 
Packy lemur was more robust and as much as three to four times larger. So you've seen lemurs in the zoo, right? You've seen the little mm-hmm. ring-tailed lemurs. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, rough lemurs are slightly, just slightly bigger than the ring-tailed lemurs. Yeah. Kind of stockier, a little, a little bit taller, but they're all about that size. The packy lemur would be ginormous compared to these lemurs. It would be right. probably, you know, Great Dane size or, or something even larger than that. Maybe yeah. Yeah. Uh, a mountain lion size, but still a lemur. Right. And, you know, there, we're going to, we're going to talk more about this. Um, there were several species uh, of large or giant lemurs. Yeah, um, that have been that have thought to have uh, gone extinct over the last thousand years. Right, right. Um, now the packing lemur were known to live in trees that are high up in the canopies of Madagascar and eat the fruit off of these trees. So the packing lemur has, um, and you'll see why I'm using um, current verbiage here in a second. But the packing lemur has massive jaws. It's got huge teeth, and they say it can grow as large as five feet in length. That is a long lemur, mm-hmm. tall if it's standing up on its hind legs. Now, like living roughed lemurs, packing lemurs specialized in eating fruit. And so they were very important seed dispersers. Possibly for tree species with seeds too large for even rough lemurs to swallow. So that makes me think of avocados. And the reason that makes me think of avocados (laughs) is because avocados evolved when there were large sloths that would eat these avocados. Mm -hmm. They had just enough meat on the avocado to make it worth these sloths eating, but the seeds could only be dispersed by these giant sloths. So back when we had giant sloths, we had more avocado trees, ajuacato trees around everywhere. And as those died off, we now have to cultivate avocado because there is no actual animal large enough to eat the avocado seed and pass it. And if you notice, the avocados that we have here in uh, the continental United States, mm-hmm. not talking Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico has some ginormous avocados, but mm-hmm. the ones we have here, the Haas ones, those were bred to have smaller pits. Right. Yeah. And to be smaller. But they're still a giant pit. Think of animals out there. Could any animal out there that we know of in America disperse these seeds? There's not. But the avocados like in Puerto Rico and stuff, they're they could be 12 inches long with a giant seed in them. Yeah. So we have bred smaller avocados through genetic uh, whatever you call it. Well, yeah, uh, genetic manipulation to that's the word. Yep, to make them more conducive for, um, for sale. Right. You know, to be able to to pack them and ship them and get them to supermarkets. Um, 
so that you can, you know, when you decide, hey, you know, I want to have avocado toast for breakfast in the morning, or I want to make some guacamole for Taco Tuesday. Uh, you can go and pick up several and get them there. But I, I have had um, an avocado where when you open it up, you're like, where the hell is all the meat? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and the you, you look at it in the pit. It's 80% it's, pit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, what the heck? And and at the time, I remember thinking, well, this is bizarre. But with a little little bit of research, you know, I learned, oh, th- this is how natural avocados were. Mm-hmm. You know, Larger th- pits, th- less were, meat. More pits, less meat. We've just kind of made them, you know, with, like Adam said, engineered them to have that smaller pit. So that, you know, it it can be a a regular consumable. Right. And you'll notice even now, go to the store and find avocados that you get one and cut it open. It's got a good, good size pit in it, the normal size Uh pit. But then you get another one and it's like tiny pit. And you're like, what happened? Oh, yeah. Well, then you're like, like score. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I get more meat. This is a bonus. But for the avocado, that's not good because that seed wouldn't. Uh, uh, pop out another tree, basically. Right. Um, but uh, that long tangent, just to say that the packy lemur was very much like the giant sloth in seed dispersal for Madagascar. Mm-hmm. So there are most likely, I didn't grab this information, but there are most likely trees that are now extinct on Madagascar because the packy lemur is not around to disperse their seeds anymore. Sure. Yeah. But in the spiny thicket of southwestern Madagascar, the Paggy lemur also were likely to have dispersed seeds that were evolved to attach to the fur and be carried away. So another seed dispersal way, the, the seeds would have hooks on them and they grew up in the top of these trees where the Paggy lemur lived. Well, mm-hmm. unlike rough lemurs, the fore and hind limbs of Paggy lemurs were nearly the same length. And therefore, it was likely to be a slow, deliberate climber. So again, think of a sloth. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it the ring-tail lemur and stuff that we got now, they have longer back legs than front legs, so they're able to hop, walk on the ground. But if you look at sloths or orangutans or anything like that, where their limbs are the same length or pretty close, they don't walk well. They climb amazingly well, but they don't work well on the ground. So the lemur really probably didn't get on the ground too much, unlike the ringtail lemurs. However, both uh, the lemur and modern-day lemurs used hind limbs, uh, hind limb suspension to reach fruit on small branches below them. Now, like other lemurs, the lemur was only found on the island of Madagascar and its subfossil remains have been found primarily at sites in the central and southwestern parts of the island. Fragmentary and indeterminate remains have also been found in northern Madagascar. So these are the same places that the Kisawala is being sighted nowadays. But Pachy lemur once lived in diverse lemur communities 
within its range, but in many of these locations, 20% or fewer of the original lemur species remain. So what used to be there, there's 20% fewer types of lemurs than they Mm -hmm. used to have. Now, the packing lemur went into decline following the arrival of humans in Madagascar around 350 BCE. Habitat loss, forest fragmentation, and bushmeat hunting are thought to have been the reasons for its disappearance. Packing lemur is thought to have gone extinct between 680 to 960 CE, although sub-fossil remains found in a cave pit in southwestern Madagascar may indicate that it survived up until 500 years ago. So a lot more recent than they originally thought. Well, packing lemur remains were first described in 1895 by French zoologist Henry uh, Philhole. Yep, that's his name. F I L H O L. I love it. Like, I have yep, been. That's his name. <laughs> I have been waiting this whole episode to say Henry Philhole. Probably not how you pronounce it, but again, I don't care. I like how it sounds. So, um, and. <laughs> These remains were originally included in the genus lemur, along with the ring-tailed lemur and other close relatives currently classified within the family Lemuridae. So in 1948, French paleontologist Charles Lamberton placed the species in the subgenus Pachylemur, which was recognized as a genus by 1979. However, due to earlier uses of the name Pachylemur, the priority of an alternative genus name proposed by... Um, Guillaume Grandidere in 1905 and errors in Lamberton's 1948 description of the genus, the availability of the name under the rules of zoology nomenclature were considered questionable. In 2011, a petition was filed with the International Commission of Zoological Nomenclature to preserve the name. So according to this next source, it's possible that the packing lemur might still be alive as villagers report sightings in the northern part of Madagascar. In uh, Masawala, in the Masawala Peninsula on the northeastern coast of Madagascar, it has the largest cluster of recent sightings of the packing lemur, the Kisawala. Mm-hmm. Uh, the locals called the packing lemur the Kisawala, like I said, because the villagers said that the Kisawala loves the tallest trees in the forest. Like I said, has a similar face to a dog with a reddish coat, but a lot larger. Many villagers believe that the Kisawala is an aggressive animal since its name means knife of the forest. So Kisawala means knife of the forest. And anything that is said to pass beneath the creature will die, which makes it a carnivorous animal. Mm. But like I said, the Pachylemur, is not a carnivore. It, it 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 was an herbivore. Yeah, yeah. But do you think, Matt, that the pachylemur? And, and and here's the thing. I think it's highly possible, in my opinion, that the pachylemur is still alive, and in a very tiny population, and being seen by villagers who live there. Now, granted, we don't have photographic evidence or whatever of it, but it's because if you and I were to go there looking for the Pachylemur, we'd have a week or two to look around the jungles of Madagascar, just like most researchers would. And it's very hard to find anything. Like we did a Patreon on that, uh, the bovine creature from Asia 
mm-hmm. that they thought was extinct for many years. And then they just right. finally discovered it recently. So you have to be living there and be in the jungle every day to see one of these things. Right. So do you think that the Paculemur could have maybe evolved to eat meat in an area where, let's say, the trees that it once fed off of declined and died out due to there being fewer Paculemurs to spread the seed, so they had to find another way to get food? Or do you think it's just a misinterpretation of what people are seeing because the Paculemur looks vicious? Or do you think it's just all bunk and and there is no Paculemur? Well, I don't think that. Um, I think it's reasonable uh, to uh, to believe that an animal that um, was uh, an herbivore could have become a carnivore or at, at, at least an omnivore. Yeah, yeah. Where there was a transitional phase where food became more scarce and... It, it had to find other sources. Now, I'm not. T- I'm not saying that uh, a lemur would have gone from I only eat fruits and berries to I'm taking down, you know, a large mammal or another lemur or a human. Yeah, or a human for crying out loud. But insects, you know, reptiles. Mm-hmm. Sure, I mean. You know, you, you get hungry enough, you you begin to you begin to learn to like other stuff. If, yeah. You know, if you're going to starve to death, and there's trail cam footage of deer, known herbivores, deer eating meat because mm-hmm. they needed their bodies told them they needed a certain vitamin or mineral that they were not getting from the plants, yeah. and so they've actually seen deer eating a duck on a webcam. It bashed the duck in the head and killed it. And then, weirdly enough, this deer is eating a freaking duck. And I didn't believe it until I saw the video. I I mean, that's crazy. I would have thought, you know, I would have understood a deer eating an animal that was already dead. Mm -hmm. I've never never thought of a deer, you know, attacking, killing, and then eating, you know, another animal. But... it's just you know, a it, duck. It could happen. You hit it it's with just your a duck. Just a duck. Those the I meant that as uh, a deer <laughs> could kick you or I in the head and kill us. Right, so right. I'm could, not saying that, but yeah, yeah I, I get it that they could. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems so out of character. Right. Which is why I brought it up because yeah. of the the paculemur may may be switching to meat. So sure. I mean, I think it's possible, and I think if 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 the Packy lemur um, lived a lot longer than what they suspect, or if it's even hanging around today or some evolved version of it, then it absolutely would have done that. And that's what caused it to survive. Yeah. Um, you know, the, these creatures aren't going to go through these geological changes. Um, and, and, and make it through. And not come out on the other side different. Right, right. I mean, humans don't do that. Why would we expect animals to do that? That's very Um, true. You go through this this huge continental drift 
Um, and, and your habitat breaks away and it's now out in the middle of the ocean. You're, you're either going to, you're either going to fade out mm-hmm. or you're going to figure out a way to survive. Yep. And so not just the packy lemurs, but I would say most species that are on Madagascar and other islands had to figure out another way to survive over, you know, over time. Oh yeah, hundred you know. <laughs> percent. They weren't like, "Holy crap, <laughs> we're not connected anymore." Yeah, right. Oh, Tommy over there, he looks like he'd be pretty good. I'm gonna go over and chew on him a little bit. Yeah. You know, it you know it takes a long time to make these changes, but you know it, it could definitely happen. Well, and and you know that even us humans in in 2023. You, you know how you get a craving for something mm-hmm. like you're like, man, I'm craving salty potato chips or I'm craving water or I'm cra- something. Your body knows when it's missing a nutrient salt mm-hmm. from the potato chips or, or just water or whatever. So even with what we have now food wise, our body knows Oh, I need this vitamin. I can get it from this food. So I'm sending these signals that I am craving this food. Now, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just you're a chunky monkey like I am and you want some chunky monkey ice cream. <laughs> That's what I was fixing to say. You know, like, so, what what about what am I missing that makes me crave ice cream? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Those Twinkies hold no nutritional value. That's just you being uh uh Uh, A chubby monkey there, but all right, Adam, you know, one of the worst things that I I, I hate dealing with, uh, it's part of getting older, but it's fixing my supplements that I take. Sure. My heart, my back, my joints, you know, all that stuff. And I've got. All, all these bottles just crammed in the cabinet, but Care Of has helped me eliminate all of that. Right. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And, you know, everybody's different. Uh, so when it comes to health and need goals, uh, you need Care Of right there making it easier than ever to stick to a vitamin routine which is personally tailored to your everyday wellness you take a short in-depth quiz about your lifestyle and your health goals for a personalized doctor-backed recommendation which takes the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you and what you want to accomplish that's right because and literally matt and i were just talking about this i I am very vitamin D dependent. Like I, I, I need that vitamin D for my mood. And you get that from the sun a lot, I know. But I take a vitamin D supplement to help kind of, you know, bolster my vitamin D so my, my mood stays more neutral. And that was one of the things that during the quiz was suggested was vitamin D. So I was like, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I know they're they're doing right because they picked one of the things that I normally would take. So they're on right. on track with me. And it is, it's very simple. Take a very short quiz about your goals or what you want to fix or 
you know, is it energy? Is it mental, uh, like nootropic stuff? Is it uh, protein powders and bodybuilding and, and all yeah. that? And then weight loss, yeah, anything like that. Yep. And so then they will ship these individually, individual packets for each day. And all you do is you rip one open, take what's in there. You can read your daily quote on the outside of the package and you're done and it makes Uh traveling so easy when we go out of town ashley used to hate all the bottles that i would take with Uh me i'd have like a grocery bag full of bottles (laughs) and she's like do you really need all this i'm like well it's my vitamin d it's my nootropic it's my turmeric for my joints it's all and she's like good lord well now i have however many days we're gone i've got a little bitty packet for that it goes in my toiletries bag and it doesn't bother her anymore, and I don't have to pack a ton of bottles to go with me. Right, yeah. I mean, it it, it makes that so easy. But, you know, in that hectic morning routine, kids are getting ready for school. I'm trying to get ready for work. Amanda's getting ready for work. I'm going to miss something if I have to go through all of my bottles and try to remember everything. I don't have to do that. And Right on the box is the information for every supplement that's in there Mm -hmm. that Care of is recommended for me. So if I have a question about anything that I'm taking, all that information is right there. Right. So you always know what what you're taking. And if you get it from Care of, you know it's going to be high quality. It's going to be good for you. Right. Like you said, if you don't have time to take it at the house, they're easy to go and take them at work. Just throw it in your pocket and you can take them when you get to work. But if this interests you and you want to get on the care of train with Matt and I, then it, it's very simple and we've got a deal for you. You can get 50% off your first care of order. And all you've got to do is go to takecareof.com and enter our code GRAVE50, that's G-R-A-V-E-5-0, and do the quiz and get you some supplements. Yeah. So for 50% off your first care of order. Just go to TakeCareOf.com and enter our code GRAVE50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0. In other situations, that's what it's doing is, is you need water because so your brain sends these signals, I need water. Well, mm-hmm. the lemurs could have had the same thing happen where their food source starts going away. So they, their body is craving a nutrient that they used to get from this food, this fruit. And then they're like, huh, I need this. So they start adjusting their habits and their food sources to gather these nutrients to stay alive. Now, this could have taken a long, long time to happen. And in that case, the Paculemur population could have slowly dwindled down to where there's only a few hundred, maybe, if that, in the Madagascan jungles. Mm-hmm. But that would explain why there's so few, and that would explain why villagers say that they eat meat. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the Kisawala, since I learned about it, has fascinated me. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's it's a study in cryptozoology but also in just evolutionary changes in animals and 
Like we've said many times before, cryptozoology does not necessarily mean Bigfoot or Nessie. Cryptozoology means the study of hidden animals. And mm-hmm. the Pachylemur, the Kisawala, is a hidden animal in that classification. So right. I, I, I'm fascinated with it. I'm also fascinated with the one that you have. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I it's hard to talk about all these lemurs without, you know, saying something like, uh, it's like, Shame on you, Maurice. Can't you see that you've insulted the freaks? <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't I mean, do this the, research the without, whole time. Yeah, with, <laughs> without thinking about the movie Madagascar. Yeah. yeah Just yeah. E- e- every part of that movie popped into my head. Everything was King King Julian for yeah. me watching. I mean, reading this stuff. It was it was funny. Um uh, the one that I'm going to talk about is called the Kidoki. And oh, Kidoki. Oh, Kidoki. So the Kidoki is is another lemur type cryptid um, that inhabits the the dry deciduous forest and the shrublands of the Manabe region of central western Madagascar. I mean, we're getting pretty specific. Mm-hmm. Now, the first detailed written description of the Kadoki was from Dr. David Burney and his interviews with various locals in the Morandava district back in 1998. So Hmm. pretty recent. Yeah, that is pretty recent. So Dr. Burney, he went to Madagascar in July and August of 95 to investigate reports of animals that did not match the description of any of the current wildlife that was present on the island. Right, right. Now, the the Kadoki was one of these such animals. And although the descriptions didn't coincide with known creatures, they did match up with historical accounts and folklore recorded in Madagascar between the mid-1600s and the end of the 19th century. So they've got they've got historical records and they've got folklore that describe characters that match up with what the descriptions from the locals give uh for the Kadoki. Yeah. So that I mean that's intriguing and it intrigued Dr. Bernie um because of the idea that he might have been going down there to look for uh, a species that has could have been extinct for as much as a thousand years. So it it sounded to Dr. Burning very similar to the giant lemur, but radiocarbon dating of animal remains puts the giant lemurs as having become extinct several hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. But either way, he knew that he was looking for very unique things. He was either looking for a cryptid, a a, a new species, or a living creature that was thought to long be extinct. Either way, I'm fine with it. It's cool. You know, we're either going to figure out, hey, this, this thing right here managed to live and we thought it was gone, or look at this, we found a whole new, a whole new species. Either way. (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah, cool. Right, right. Either way, it's cool. 
Well, Bernie conducted and documented interviews with locals over sightings of multiple animals, the Kidoki just being one of them. Now, one individual that he spoke with, Jean Nolson Pascal, he gave the team information about the Kidoki, saying that it was something like a Sifaka, which is a specific type of lemur with a very long tail. In fact, the Sifaka has a tail that's as long as its body. Yep. Yep. And so that, that makes it unique. And what's funny is everybody in the U S when you think lemur, you think King Julian, Yep. that, that is Rain a broad generalization that that's what I think. And well, part of that is because that's what you see at the zoo. Yeah. Yep. You know, you go to the zoo, it's a ring-tailed lemur. Okay? It's the most populous of all lemurs. Yeah. And and in my opinion, the cutest, okay? <laughs> you know, it's got the little the little raccoon-looking mask. It's got the little stripes on its tail. They're very playful. They're they're smaller in size. So, yeah, this oh, everybody's going to love having all they these can, lemurs. They're going to be mean as heck, though. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, they're like to me, they're it's like a they're, cross between a monkey and a fox or something. Yeah, you they're know, a it, primate, so they're yeah. going to be. <laughs> but the uh, the Kidoki was different because it had a face like a man. Mm-hmm. And Pascal says that that it was as big as his seven year old great granddaughter. He used her as reference. Yeah, that's a big that's, lemur. Seven-year-old kid, and we're going to say, this lemur's as big as her. With a That's a big lemur. Yeah, Yeah, with a man face. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Pascal says he got a really good look at one very nearby in 1952. Said it had a dark coat, but it had a conspicuous white spot on the forehead and another one below the mouth. Pascal stated that the Kadoki is a shy animal and when encountered flees on the ground rather than climbing trees like a Sifaka would do. Said it moves by a series of leaps and perhaps can even stand on two legs and and walk bipedally. Now, uh, Pascal even went further and he imitated the call which is a long single whoop, okay, which is somewhat reminiscent of the shortened call of the Indri, which is the largest species of lemur from Madagascar's East Coast rainforest, okay? So they have similarities between two different uh, lemur species that are known but the differences are there where they don't fall into either category. Right. So they showed Pascal uh, a picture of the, the injury. Okay. This is the large lemur. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's not it. Um, he said the animal that he encountered had a much rounder face, which is more like a Sifaka. He said, if one, he said that if the, if the Kadoki Hears its call and imitates it effective. If 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 you can imitate it effectively, it will come closer and it will continue to call. 
Mm. So Pascal had the opinion that this is probably because they are solitary and they're lonely for their own kind. Sure. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about that solitary thing here in a minute too. So the team also found um, some woodcutters and they interviewed them. One of whom was a gentleman named Francois and he had several friends and Francois and these other woodcutters, they indicated that they spent a lot of time working in the forest and the thickets inland from the main road between Mon- Monroe, Monroe Diva and Belsor Mare. I'm sure if they're cutting wood, they're out there by themselves a lot. Uh-huh. And, and probably are very, very familiar with what wildlife is around them. Yep. If not, you better be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If not, you'll get there quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but several of these men said they had seen and heard the Kadoki in recent years. Their description was essentially the same as Pascal's. Uh, including the appearance of of a human-looking face. Now, one of the woodcutters insisted that there was a lot of white on the body. It wasn't limited to, like, the forehead and the chin area. Mm -hmm. But they said others weren't so sure. Uh, Francois, they asked Francois to imitate the call, and he gave out this really long whoop sound again. Um, which was just like the one that that uh, that Jean Pascal imitated. What I find interesting about that is they say uh, Bigfoot makes similar sounds. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so these these men um, also said they had never seen one climb a tree. Said it just flees over the ground in short leaps. So what Dr. Bernie did is demonstrate, he said, you mean like this? And he goes hopping across um, in this kind of a, a sideways leap. He said when he did that, the men went, no, 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 no. That's a Sifaka. He says the Kadoki walks like this. And the guy demonstrates this forward gallop, which Dr. Bernie um, said looked very baboon like. Hmm. Okay, baboons they they walk forward, but they they kind of uh, well they they gallop. Okay, they kind of go their head goes up and down, but they're moving in a forward direction, not sideways. Um, but they also said that they could get one to approach if they could imitate the call, just like Pascal said. So that that's the Kadoki, okay? A, a large lemur type creature at, with multiple sightings. But what is it? Is it a lemur? Is it something else that we've not discovered? There's there's a lot of question about what it could be. There's no doubt people have seen it. But the Kadoki sounds like it could be an undiscovered species of lemur. Um, but it could be the descendants of a known species that was thought to be extinct, like the giant lemur. Yep. But either way, like I said, it's still pretty freaking cool, but more speculation 
has led to more questions as researchers have tried to kind of wedge the the square kadoki peg into the round lemur hole. They're trying to make it a lemur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just doesn't want to fit, which makes me kind of think it's it's either its own species or like you were talking about, it's evolved so much over the years right. that it it doesn't match up with any of them, that it's evolved yeah. into its own thing. Now, in, uh, in cryptozoologist George Erbhart's book, Mysterious Creatures, A Guide to Crypto- Cryptozoology, he speculates that the Kadoki may be a surviving population of archaeolemur, which is a genus of lemurs like the Kadoki, were ground-dwelling and weighed around 55 pounds. Okay? Huh. So that's a pretty that's a pretty big lemur. That's a hefty lemur. Um, it's probably not one you'd want to pick up and carry around with you. That's one of those ice cream-loving chunky monkey lemurs <laughs> is what that that's is. Right. <laughs> but archaeolemurs are thought to have died out less than 300 years before European arrival in the 16th century. So the only problem with this theory is that archaeolemurs were quadrupedal, mm. which is like gorillas. Yeah. Okay. Unlike the Kadoki, which hopped upright, similar to the more contemporary Sifakas and Indries. But like you said, that could be an evolutionary change for food gathering purposes. So what if the Kadoki's food sources were all found on or near the ground? Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be a reason for it to go up in the trees, at least not for food. What about protection? It's obviously much larger than what our typical thought of a lemur is. If it weighs, you know, let's just say it weighs around 50 pounds. Um, maybe it was able to protect itself. Yeah. And so it didn't have to be fearful of being on the ground that it could protect itself. So it stayed there and it and didn't go up in the trees. That um, allowed it to be more solitary or unlike the ringtail right. lemurs, they had to travel in groups for protection. That's right. That's right. So based on Bernie's interviews, the Kadoki's description, it, 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 it is lemur like. I mean, there is no doubt. It's lemur-like. And it, you compared it to the, the Sifaka um, by all the interviewees who described it, but they all universally said that it was not a Sifaka. They knew what a Sifaka was. And if you've never seen one, look at the picture of a Sifaka. I mean, they are, they are this white, fluffy, Mm-hmm. Larger lemur, lar- like larger than a ring tail, um, with that gra- great big tail. Okay. They're really, really pretty. It would be hard to mistake something for that because they're not, I mean, I don't, I, they're not endangered. They may be, they may, they may be rare. Um, but all the locals knew what they were. Sure, yeah. You know, and they'd seen them, seen them enough to know their traits and how they behaved and where they were found, enough to say this other thing we saw is not a Sifaka. Um, 
Now, uh, the Kadoki differs from the Safaka in in several ways. We said it's much larger. Uh, it's encountered on the ground. The Sifaka is more tree-dwelling. Um, and then when it ran away, it stayed on the ground. Uh, like we talked about, you know, it didn't need the protection of the height of the trees. And uh, Dr. Bernie compared the gate to, uh, to that of a baboon after he saw these guys he was interviewing mimic you know, how it, how it walked or ran away. Right. But the call is more like an injury. You know, that whoop sound is much more like an injury. And, but, and the solitary behavior, um, that is, that is unusual for a Sifaka. Sifaka is like Adam said, they stay in groups, you know, they're up in the trees. They, they keep those groups for protection. So, you know, it like I said, it, it's a square peg, round hole. It's mm. just not fitting in there. But Bernie also points out similarities between the Kadoki and another Madagascar cryptid, the Tra-Tra Tra-Tra. <laughs> I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> it is T-R-A, 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 all one word. So I'm saying it's the tra 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 tra, and it's named that because of the sound that it makes. So it's an onomatopoeia. Yeah. So this creature was one of the earliest um, Malagasy cryptids to be described. Admiral de Flacourt wrote in 1658 that it was a man-faced, frizzy-haired animal the size of a two-year-old calf with a short tail hands and human ears yeah and you look at pictures of it because i mm -hmm. i looked it up and the way it's drawn think of a gorilla but with a tail mm -hmm. uh, not as long as a normal lemur and a round head instead of a pointed like long dog face type head it's more of a human shaped head yeah but you know, kind of pot belly gorilla type body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. It was solitary and it was greatly feared by local people. A French forester um, may have encountered uh, tra 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 um, in the 1930s. And he described it as a four foot high lemur with gorilla like head and a quote face like one of his own ancestors. Huh? Yeah. So this he was in the a, 1930s. He had a weird looking uncle then. I mean, <laughs> but we don't have a, a, a real explanation as to the origin of the Kadoki stories. Um, it's just kind of there and the locals just kind of know it. Um, but there's nothing about it that says, oh, well, the story is that we, we don't have that. Right. Um, but there are some possible explanations as to what it, what it really could be. And Dr. Bernie speculated that it, it could be feral animals. That's a possibility, uh, vague as it is like a baboon or Reese's monkeys or other exotic primates that could potentially survive on Madagascar if they were ever released there. 
Um, but exotic candidates with the right kind of whooping call, that's a problem because gibbons and howler monkeys would make the correct sound, but they would have to be brought from Asia and the neotropics. And they are intensively arboreal. They, they, they rely on trees. They don't touch the ground if they can avoid it. Right. So that doesn't fit either. But uh, he says for it to be an African candidate, one would have to look at a chimpanzee. And, and a chimp definitely has, you know, a, a more human appearing face. And it produces the hoops and the whoops and all that stuff. But even a, even a, a Bonobo chimp is much too large for the descriptions that they're, that these guys were giving. Um, and, I, and chips and chips and, and chimps, chimps are, are tasty, are pretty much adapted to humid forests, not semi deserts. Right. So it would be uh, it'd be easy to dismiss the Kadoki as a misidentified Sifaka or another large lemur that is well known. Um, it would be a it would be more convincing if it wasn't for all of the numerous characteristics uh, in the descriptions that consistently separate it from a Sifaka or an injury or other lemurs that are well known to these people that they were interviewing. And that's, that's kind of the sticking point there is that these guys know what animals are around them. Uh I mean, you, you live in this environment, you live in this Island, you work in it every day, you go into the forests, you know, what's there. And I don't think it's a matter of, I, I know what's here and that doesn't belong. I think they're telling them, oh, yeah, we know all these. This is a Kadoki. Like, it's just a different one. You know, yeah. we we know they it. know it, yeah. It's just different. It's not a Safaka. That's what that is over there. Yep. And it's not an injury because they live way over yonder. Um, This one is bigger and it looks a little different. And we call it a kadoki. Then being like us and white-tailed deer and mule deer. Like yeah. saying, yeah, I mean, like someone never seen a white-tailed deer before, but they knew about mule deer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, so it's a mule deer. And you're like, no, mm-hmm. it's not a mule deer. I know what mule deer look like. This is a white-tailed deer. It's mm-hmm. its own thing. It's yeah. the, kind of the same theory. And that's what we see a lot with a lot of these cryptids that could be legitimate is these people know the animals and they know what's there. Plus all of the explanations that they try to give for, oh, you're misidentifying a ringtail lemur. You're misidentifying a Safaka. Well, you're being a Safaka because I'm not. (laughs) It's its its own thing. You know, I I know what these are and it doesn't fit the pattern for these other animals. It, it may in some tangential way, but that just means it's kind of related to it. But like you said, the square lemur peg and the round lemur hole, it's not, it doesn't fully work. So you can't say, 
yeah, that's what they're mistaking it for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's its own thing, but further than that, um, with, with the, the in-depth research that, uh, Dr. Bernie did, um, and with, with all the reports and, you know, the different studies that have been done on Madagascar, I think this is a, a type of archaeolemur that has managed to evolve to become solitary and ground dwelling um, and, and live off the food supply that's there on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know that, you know, when you call that it's lonely for its own kind, but I would say if it hears a similar call, it's coming to investigate. Yeah, it's intelligent enough to go, wait a minute, that sounds like me, but maybe mm-hmm. a little bit different. I want to see what this thing is that's trying to talk to me. Yeah. Um, but if they had evolved to be more uh, more solitary, then maybe that's why they're rare. Um, yeah. Maybe they don't, they don't mate that often. Maybe it's difficult for them to find mates. Um, so, you know, a like small. Like most college guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, a, a small—I mean, let's say a small island. You know, it's a—it's a big island, but a smaller area, comparative to you know the the living area of other animals. Um, you just—you don't see them. There's just not as many of them. They don't reproduce fast enough to have a whole bunch of them running around. Um, but it really does sound like this is this is something totally different. But I think. It's something that evolved into what the Kadoki is now from a a species of much larger giant lemur right. over a thousand years ago. Yeah. And on the note of it being lonely and coming to the call, another thing to me that kind of debunks that is I can do a dove call. And there are a ton of doves around the house. They're not lonely by any means. But if I sit out in my backyard and I do my dove call, I can actually bring dove to come sit on the fence or sit on the house and I'll do the call. It will answer me. And it's like tilting its head looking like, wait a minute, that sounds like a dove, but it looks like a giant weird monkey sitting in that tree (laughs) or in that, in, you know, and it, 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 I, so I don't think it's lonely looking for a mate. I no, it's think curious. it's curious. Exactly. It's curiosity. Sim, just like the doves. I mean, my great grandmother taught me how to do a dove call. And since then I've been quote talking to doves and I can bring them in and it, it'd be great during hunting season, but I never dove hunt. So yeah. whatever. But I, I think that's what it is. It's just curiosity over why is there something talking like me? Mm hmm. So I know that a lot of you are like, oh, we know Matt and Adam enjoy talking about cryptids and looking into, into those things. And this is this is why they chose this. True enough. But I, I think you've kind of seen the underlying tone in, in this episode is that the, the world can change. Um, these these creatures can change and can adapt. And the idea that we have found every single creature, even a primate, mm-hmm. 
we're just, we're fooling ourselves. Sure. Yeah. So Sasquatch. Yeah. Sasquatch, Yeti, all these, these, these large hominid primates. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just completely dismiss them and say, there's no way because we've never found a dead one or because we surely we would have found it by now. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. Right. And, and I think, you know, these two, uh, I say quote unquote cryptids from Madagascar are good examples of that. Yeah. And, and that there is a potential to not only to continue to find undiscovered species or species that have evolved over a thousand years and are now totally different, but you know, the, the idea of other things that we have tagged with the, the name cryptid living and existing in very, very small numbers all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, it, it very much supports my belief that in certain areas there can be what are considered cryptids and we can think, well, that type of animal could not exist. Mm -hmm. But if you let something like the, uh, you know, the continental drift, if you take that into account and how it can change all of these species to be endemic to Madagascar, then how how do you think that there possibly couldn't be a giant hippo-like cryptid in Africa? How there couldn't be some type of uh, uh, sea creature from the Pleistocene that is still alive in the deep depths of the ocean or a, a giant ape running around North and South America. I don't know how you you can totally discount it. Yeah. Now, if, if yeah. you say, well, I don't really believe in Bigfoot or I don't really believe in this or that, but I can see how if one day we get evidence of it, I'm not going to be totally shocked. Yeah. But I don't see how you can go, nope, doesn't exist, can't happen. It's not right. a thing. Because we we have found, I, I can't remember the number, but how many mammals on Madagascar that are endemic to Madagascar never been cata cataloged before. Mm -hmm. And we found them as recently as 2010. So 13 years ago, maybe less because there could have been some that they have found and hadn't fully cataloged yet that they found last year or the year before or something. So I think it, this is one of those episodes to me that it's its own episode because it's Madagascar cryptids, but it ties in to mm -hmm. nearly every other episode that we've done on similar topics. Yeah. Any any cryptid like this that we've talked about, you can go back and apply, um, you know, our thoughts on this to that, mm -hmm. because it it just says, hey, don't don't shut the door on the potential that 
Right. These creatures exist. Keep your mind open. Don't be skeptical. Don't be cynical. Right. Right. And, you know, this is the point of the show where you tell us what you think. You know what Adam and I think. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's no, we, we, we don't, we don't sit on the fence on this one. Um, but we tell don't us hide what our opinions think. well either. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but tell us what you think. And one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, it's called the graveyard. Uh, thousands of members in there. It's one of the most active groups I've ever been a part of. It's fantastic. It's a safe space for you to share those stories, paranormal experiences, cryptid sightings, um, you know, funny jokes, you know, Show us your pets and all this stuff. We, we love it. Um, so so hop in there and let us know what you think. Um, when you're done there, you can check out our website. It is graveyardpodcast.com. There you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And Adam and I, uh, we appreciate what the donations that we've gotten for the work we do so much. Um, you you really help keep us going. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the charts. It makes it easier for people to find the graveyard. Right. And we just we just want to bring more folks in. We want to hear what their crazy stories are too. Exactly. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.